Welcome to episode 235 of the Thunder Underground podcast. Trent and Jason here as always. And this week, we've got something special. That we do. We've got Alan Robert from Life of Agony. That's kind of one of our, uh, that was a goal for a while. We, we've, yeah. I think it's, we, it's safe to say it's a goal from the very beginning. Like, oh, definitely. From when we started getting national acts on here, that's definitely one of the ones that we somebody wanted. from Life. Yeah, yeah. One, one of those of the guys from Life Agony. One of those three original members, <clears throat> and and we got them. Yes, and and it's kind of been it's simmering. It's been simmering for a while. Yeah, it almost and happened. We just a couple never other, said yeah. anything. Yeah, it almost happened a couple other times. Like, yeah. I mean, within the past like year, year and a half. Yeah. So yeah, to finally make it happen is a big deal for us. And their new album is fantastic. Yes. And we're going to get to that here in just a bit. But we've got a lot of other stuff to talk about as well. And before we do, we need to let you know that we are sponsored by Medfarm and DED Concerts. Medfarm is a dispensary located in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. They're at 24683 East Highway 51. They've got a huge selection. Go in there, check it out, see what they've got. Let them know that we sent you. You mentioned Thunder Underground. I'll give you ten percent off your order. Follow them on their social medias on Facebook and Instagram. They're always running daily specials on there as well for other discounts. That's Med Farm P H A R M on Facebook and Instagram is at Med Farm OK, and their website is MedFarmOK.com. They've got a doctor on site every Friday, Saturday from eleven a.m. to one p.m. And their slogan is cannabis. With the cause, right? Because thirty percent of the profits are going to help build no kill animal shelters, and that's another thing. You follow them on social media; they're always promoting, you know, area stuff like that. You know, if there's dogs up for adoption, animals, that kind of thing. So they're doing great work over there. So definitely go check them out. I highly recommend it. Not just because they're a sponsor, but because you know it's a family-owned, Oklahoma-owned business and. A lot of dispensaries aren't that way. That's right. So get over there. Tell them we sent you. DEB Concerts, a promoter located right here as well in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And they keep bringing in some amazing music to the ideal barroom in Tulsa. Bands like Saxon, Warrant, Great White, Lita Ford, Striper, Tom Kiefer, Sebastian Bach, Dokken, L.A. Guns, Junkyard, and... Coming up on November 23rd, they're bringing in Vixen and the Iron Maidens. That's going to be awesome. Along with opening band out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, known as Down for Five. Of course. Who we are big fans of, been friends with these guys for a long time, and they have been on this podcast in one form or another several times in our 235 plus episodes. And if you're not familiar with the Iron Maidens, this is an all-female tribute to Iron Maiden, obviously. So that's a very cool thing. Really looking forward to finally seeing that. And that's where Anita Strauss got her name recognition before Alice Cooper. And then Vixen, of course, hits from the, the 80s. Yeah, I mean, you can't go so, wrong. Yeah. So that'll be a great night. November 23rd at Ideal Ballroom. Eddie Trunk will be hosting this just like he does almost every show at the Ideal. You'll be crying on the edge of a broken heart. We will. <laughs> Both those things. Yeah. I mean, right? <laughs> yeah. And then you can run to the hills. Exactly. Right. It's a win-win. Yeah, of course. So, check that out. Hit up Down for Five for advanced tickets. You save a few bucks. It helps them out as well. 
even if you're coming in from out of the Tulsa area, they will get you tickets. If not, of course, you can buy them at the door or buy them in advance at Stubwire. And of course, tell them that Thunder Underground sent you, just like you do with MedFarm. Alright, so, earlier this month, COC played the Canes Ballroom. Uh, yes, they did. I don't know if they played it or slayed it. I'm going to say they slayed it. That's a that's a good adjective to use. Or verbiage. That's both, I guess. I, f- I figured. Yeah. yeah. I like that. We're, if you've listened to this podcast in any form, you've probably, you know, come to the conclusion that both of us are huge fans of corrosion and conformity. And we have, you know, we've been talking about this band since day one. And one because when we started this podcast, they weren't even... Well, they were together, and as a three-piece, Pepper wasn't even in the band yet. Yeah, back. And, then, and we yeah. would talk about it. Man, I wish Pepper would come back. And then all of a sudden, he did in 2016. And we got the chance to see him. I think their first touring of U.S. was when they were open for Lamb of God. Of course. Outside of some select shows. And we got a chance to get Reed Mullen on the podcast and talked all about that. And then later on, yeah, last I'm, year, we had Mike Dean on the podcast. That's right. I'm pretty sure... That before Reed Mullen talked to us, I'm pretty sure he snorted a gigantic fucking line of coke, probably in the shape of Oklahoma. You think so? Yeah. I mean, listen to that. I haven't listened to it in a while. Dude is hyped. Okay. Okay, anyways. It was pretty late. It was after the show. See, it was right? just hyped from the show. But, uh, yeah, okay, great. Yeah. I'm just saying. Let's I go with that. Okay. <laughs> but I will say that. That still stands as one of my favorite ones, not just because... Oh, man, of, it was great, just because it was a dude from COC. Yeah, not just because of that, because it was just cool, you know, yeah. talking to him and the things he had to say. So, if you've never checked those two out, go check them out. But getting to see COC in a headline manner, we have a couple times. I, we saw him at the Ride for Dime. But most times we've seen him since Pepper's been back, you know, has been at, in a supporting role or at a festival or whatever. yeah. yeah. So we got a full-on set with Mothership and The Skull opening up. And both those bands put on excellent freaking shows. Of course. We've uh, talked about, you know, speaking, I mentioned Ride for Dime. That's where we saw Mothership for the first time. And that band is just a phenomenal three-piece stoner rock band, but just like, you know, really energetic yeah. at the same time. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can't go wrong with them. and. uh they always kind of deliver it. It's always there. Yeah. And some of their music, you know, even has a psychedelic feel. But this, you know, you don't, I don't get that live. I just get it when you listen to the studio stuff. And, you know, they, what, remember they came in second place for the Metallica tour yeah. in 2017? Or was that 16? Whatever year that was. I mean, that would have been cool. Yeah. The thing that Local H ended up yeah, winning, I mean, the, like the fan vote thing. Hey, Local H is great, but man, that would have been awesome. Yeah. I think Mothership would have, you know, nothing against Local H, but Mothership would have fit the bill. Oh a little yeah, bit they would have rocked it. They yeah. they would have they would have been ready for sure. Yeah. So if you have never seen Mothership or or never even listened to them, definitely look these guys up. They're out of Dallas, Texas, and they're just a great damn band. And actually, tonight that we're recording this, they're playing in Oklahoma City. That's right. And, you know, unfortunately, we have to choose last in line. You know, because we've never seen them in a full headline set. So. That's right. Sorry, Mothership. <laughs> we will see you again soon, I promise. But The Skull, another band I had never seen, and they've been here. You know, I know they played Downtown Lounge a couple times. Unfortunately, I didn't get to make those. Featuring 
I think it's three, or maybe is it two now? I think it started as three former members of Trouble. And they play, you know, I think they played two or three Trouble songs in their set. And, you know, it's just, it's kind of like, you know, mothership in a way. You're getting a, a doomy, stonery kind of upbeat, fun show. Definitely. And, but this is, you know, you know, as opposed to mothership, you got five guys on stage. Yeah. You know, you get a wall of sound and, it, you know, they pulled it off great. Great vocals, high energy, and I'm just, it was cool to finally see him because Trevor's one of those bands that I didn't really, like, listen to in the 90s, but I always heard him, like, on those, uh, you know, music choice kind of things and yes. stuff, and I was really, because I really like Tyus and that kind of stuff, oh, and they yeah. fell into that category, but it's one that. one that I didn't really ever check out much back then, but listening to it now, I was really happy to be able to see this. Yeah. So that's another thing. If you haven't seen The Skull, I highly recommend it. Begin to the main event, COC. I mean, compared to every other time, it was excellent as always. But what do you, what what do you think stood out besides the obvious that we're going to talk about in the in the encore? But. Well, uh, I don't know. I mean, that is the obvious, and it did stand out. Well, within two or three songs, they played King of the Rotten. Yes, they played King of the Rotten, and, and they, they don't. Um, from my experience, they haven't played that since they came back. Yeah, and and I I was just. I remember when they when they went into King of the Rotten, like we I think we had I don't know, I can't remember why we, we all went to drink beforehand, but for some reason we ended up in a different part of the venue than you. And then when they went into to that, I was like, I gotta go find Trent. That's right. You showed I have to, up. I have to like rock out with him because <laughs> they haven't played this in forever. <laughs> and so that was fucking rad and you know it's just it, it, it you know it speaks to every time that we've seen coc it's they're they're on point i mean they're riff masters riff beasts um you know what you're gonna get they're tried and true yeah um th there's no bullshit and that's that's why we love them and it was just more of that and it was you know, longer set than all that. And then, of course, you know, when they went into Stare Too Long um, from America's Volume Dealer, I mean, I just couldn't. It was amazing. Yeah. Because I remember the minute that record came out, the minute I heard that song, I'm like, well, this song is amazing. And two, we'll probably never hear it live. And then what right. yeah, and then what fucking twenty years later, twenty one years later, here it is, you're seeing it live. And this is or however long it was ago when that record was released. I think it was two thousand, so nineteen. <clears throat> okay, okay. But regardless, they had never when they played it in Dallas like two nights before, <sighs> yeah. That was the first time it had ever been played live. Yeah, yeah. So this was like the second time ever, and that's because it has a steel guitar in it and they didn't want to do it without that. Yeah. And now they're on tour with the Skull, who, one of the members of The Skull, Alex Johnson, can play steel guitar, so there you go. There I mean, it was just, such a treat, dude. Yeah, like I saw um, a thing from him, like a quote from him the next day or something, where he said they just asked him if he was interested in doing it, if he could learn it, and he said, absolutely, I love that song, so he yeah. learned it. I mean, it was, yeah, that that was... And then they played Shelter in Dallas, because that also, from yeah. Deliverance, because that also has steel guitar, and I had played that, I believe I read since sometime in the 90s. Yeah. Well, it was... It, you know, the, it, it, what it really did, and I, I, I don't know, but I, I'm pretty sure they're getting to the end of this tour cycle for all this, yeah, this big comeback. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure that 
you know, they were getting antsy. And that's why they just decided to mix it up. Right. And how lucky were we to see that? Yeah. You know, how how lucky were we to be on this leg of the tour? Yeah. So, I mean, I just can't. There's never, I, I can never see this band too many times. Uh, they're never not good. Right. So, there you go. Yeah, I'm, uh, the fact that you got four songs from America's Volume Dealer. Exactly. Kind of blew my mind because, you know, that's something, when they came back, they were obviously sticking to Deliverance and, you know, you would get a, why am I drawing a blank? Uh, who's got the fire? Mm-hmm. Usually in sets, and that was it. Yeah. And then they started pulling out Diablo Boulevard yeah. and 13 Angels, and then now we're getting Stare Too Long as well. So, I mean, that's just, that's insane to me. It's great shit, man. Yeah. And then last year when we saw him at the, the Diamond, they played Long Whip, Big America. Oh, yeah. So it's like everything I've dreamed of hearing has pretty much come to come to be now, you know? It's, yeah. And I always love, they do Clean My Wounds and they have the kind of the reggae thing, the yeah. reggae breakdown. I love that. That Again, that never gets old. So, yeah. Yeah. There you go. We, we could go on and on. Yeah. This is a band we could... Just do a full episode. Oh, we yeah. probably should someday. Yeah, we should. We really should. I mean, we should do uh, every album in a row. I mean, they've got enough albums now. Yes, we should. We really fucking should, dude. Because that'd be an interesting, too, because you've got, what, three albums pre-Pepper Yeah, before the sound totally changed. So that's kind of I a, know. A, a I thing, know. You know. And then even a couple in between In the Arms of God and uh, yeah. Yeah. No Cross, exactly. No Crown. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. It's insane. <laughs> But yeah, so yeah, it's another one. If you haven't checked out No Cross, No Crown, get your ass to wherever you buy music from and get that because it's freaking fantastic. That it is. Yeah. All right, well, let's play some music. So we're going to play you a band now out of Arizona called Wrath Upon Eden. Let's play this song and then come back and talk about it. This song is called Hero.
brand new song from Wrath Upon Eden. That also features Chris Clancy of Mutiny Within. That's the first single they've released off their debut album, which is coming out here in a few months on January 18th, 2020, called The Wake of Tragedy. That's a pretty badass song. Yeah, it's a great song. Um, uh, That guitar hook just keeps coming in and out, and it just sticks in your head. Yeah. Yeah, everything about that is just like, just well put together. Vocally, like you said, the guitar work. Just that's just a, a great metal song that could yeah. go like on liquid metal right now. Yeah, it could. Yeah, and it's yeah, better the production. Than, it's super slick. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's better than half the shit that's on the Devil's Dozen on liquid metal anyway. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I haven't listened to look to the Devil's Dozen in a month or two, but I'm just guessing. Well, I haven't listened to that in forever. But be nice, Trent. <laughs> be nice. Well, no, this is nice to Wrath Upon Eden. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but I've actually. I want to give a shout out to the guitarist Jerry Bryant. I've known him for like, man, I don't know. It was probably like 2005 or six or something. So 12, 14 years um, from the old Tesla message board. Nice. That's how I got to know him, and I've you know known him ever since. Kept in contact through all these years on Facebook and everything. And this song is actually written by him and his brother David as a tribute to their mother which is really cool. And another shout out is the original bass player, Bobby, their brother passed away and they are releasing this album on, like I said, January 18th, 2020, which will be the third year anniversary of his passing. So that's kind of cool that that's working out. They can do that to honor him. So yeah, check these guys out, get on Facebook and follow them. There's a video for it as well. Look that up. Wrath upon Eden. Tell them we sent you. All right, so should we talk about X One Eleven or S and M? Um, either one. I'll, well, uh, I'll let you pick which one to go into first. Okay. Uh, all right, X One Eleven. Okay, Just go so ahead. I'll start talking. Right, well, because this is kind of what we're going to be doing. I'll be talking this one. You'll be talking the other one. Because yeah, yeah, we were each at opposite things here. Right? Okay. Well, we can also interject, obviously, because we know this. Shit. Well, you right. told me a lot, so just go ahead. I'm going to play on my phone. Oh, I see. You're not even going <laughs> to interact. <laughs> just kidding well the majority of these bands you've seen live as well yes but yes. the exo 111's uh this is a first year festival in manchester tennessee at the site of bonnaroo they use probably i don't know half the site of bonnaroo and it's of course a hard rock metal festival and back when this was first announced you know both of us and a lot of people we know were like holy shit that lineup is just like on a next level compared to most the festivals, the rock festivals on a yearly basis in America. Definitely. I'm talking about America, not across yeah. the world. But it, it's it it was like each night had not one but two headliners or something, you know? Yeah, and it, it, they and really covered genres really. Oh, well. of course, and this is something I thought of. Uh, you know, combine that with aftershock. And there must have all the venues and clubs all over the country must have been empty that weekend. <laughs> right. All, all the fu- you fucked me up there. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. All the fucking bands on these festivals were there. I mean, or well, yeah, obviously they were. When all Gozier the bands, was at both those. See, festivals. you fucked me up. See, you. Fu- <laughs> I blame this on you, but you know what I mean. Yeah, so I know what you're saying. Well, like, yeah, and Gojira played both of them. I think there was someone else that was on both of them as well. Yeah, I mean, you can because yeah, just you know, get on a plane, <laughs> right? But like I said, I mean, this this was as good a quality lineup across the board as some of those 
Sweden rocks and that kind of thing. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you had your heavy metal. You had your classic rock. You had your radio rock. You had your Blackstone Cherries, whatever category they fall into. Okay. And then, you know, right before Blackstone Cherry, right before Gojira, Lamb of God, right before Cheap Trick. I don't know if that's exactly what happened, but it's like all around the same exact times, you know, and that's just, that's what you want in a festival. Yeah, that's and, how it should be. That's how it's always been in Europe. And it's just now that, you know, we're getting to that. And and that's a great thing. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I mean, let, let me ask you, I don't know if you're wanting to get into like a band by band breakdown or whatever. I don't know. I was going to mention a few. You of saw them. so much, but well, before, let me ask you something like, you know, you, you're working a lot of these. You saw Eggs at Eleven, which is one of the newer ones. Like, do you think there's a point where there's going to be like oversaturation of festivals? I feel like it's already there. Okay. <laughs> I mean, and, and do you think some of these are going to kind of start falling by the wayside maybe? Yeah. I mean, I haven't, we haven't seen it really with the rock ones yet, but I've, over the last two or three years, a lot of festivals have been falling by the wayside. Okay. From, just like the mix genre ones or just like, there's just a lot of them out there Yeah, that are like one year or like sometimes a few years and then fall off because I mean, there'll be weeks and especially when you get into August, September, October, and then back in the early, like April and May where there's like across the country, there's several festivals the same weekend. Yeah. You know, not just a bunch of festivals throughout the year. Yeah. So yeah, well, I, like I said, all the bands were at those festivals. All the venues were empty. Right. <laughs> and th- this one was, I mean, it had a decent crowd, but it wasn't highly attended. Okay. You know, I mean, it was like less than 30,000 per day. I think it was, I heard 25, but I never heard anything exact. And I thought that was probably because it's a new festival and plus a lot of the other festivals that already happened and been announced and people made plans for those, that kind of thing. So, you know, hopefully this survives being later in the year's probably a good thing because their competition was only like you said aftershock on the other side of the country and then louder than life a couple weeks before yeah so if they hang around the same time of year they'll probably i would think give it another year i mean they're on a festival grounds that already exists it's not like they're renting land from the city or something yeah true but it you know it was just really it was cool it was set up well it was one of those festivals where if you got a ga ticket you could get straight to the front of any any stage Mm mm-hmm you know, a lot of them have the VIP pit area, you know, where you got to pay extra to be up front. This one, their VIPs were always either a platform in the back on the side stages or on the main stage. It was just kind of off to the left side mm-hmm. and you didn't have access to the front of the stage except for in that area. Yeah. So it gave it more of that kind of old school rock and roll feel because it was also just like in this big open area and like the you could hear the music of the main stage throughout a good chunk of the campgrounds because it was just, there was nothing blocking it. Mm -hmm. And so like where I was like working at, I could hear, like I didn't see any of the bands on Friday, but I heard them perfectly. Like I was in the venue. Yeah. Based off of where I was at. Like it just sounded like I was in the back of the outside amphitheater or whatever. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I heard Anthrax and Slayer and the Cadillac three pretty much, like I was at the show. Nice. nice. And, you know, and that's another thing, you know, kind of like we talked about this Mick genre, the main stage that day was Cadillac 3, then Anthrax, and then Slayer, and then Leonard Skinner. So you basically had two genres, you know, one genre bookend by another yeah. genre, you know? Yeah. Uh, southern rock and <laughs> thrash metal. Yeah. <laughs> 
And the Cadillac three was pretty cool because they, you know, they have a real country influence, like extremely country. Like the guy's voice is twangy as hell. Yeah. And almost to the point that I thought, is this guy putting this on? Like, is this real? But it was good. They have good rock guitars. And so it was cool to see them. And, and then, of course, you know, you know, or anybody that's listened to this podcast more than twice knows how much we love Anthrax. Oh, man. And yeah. then, of course, how much we love Slayer. Of course. And so I was really happy to be able to work at this and see Slayer one more time because, I mean, I probably won't get to see him again before the end of November. Yeah. That's it for at least now. Yeah. And uh, both of them were on freaking point on fire like they always are. I've never seen a bad show from either of those bands. Exactly. And, you know, Anthrax, like, they they played a full hour. Like, it was cool because all the, I think the shortest I saw any band playing was like 45 minutes. Yeah. And most of them were an hour. Okay. If you're on the main stage and there'd be, then on the side stage would be, they would get full hour. Yeah. And then be back to the main stage. So, but Anthrax played an hour and didn't play anything from Joey Belladonna's second run. Really? Yeah. None of the, off the last two new albums, which they usually play yeah. any more play in the end or... Right or what else? There's a yeah. there's two or three of those songs they'll kind of usually breathing play. lightning or yeah, but nothing. But they they did throw in a few like NFL, nice fucking life yeah. that I haven't seen them play. I know they've been playing, but I haven't seen it. And then now it's dark, and yeah. a couple other s- songs like that that were deeper cuts that weren't always in the live show. Yeah, so I was happy about that. And Slayer, you know, was pretty much what they've been doing where they're hit points of throughout the career yeah. playing everything and sounding fucking perfect as they do. Yeah. And that day, actually I did see when I went to go eat dinner, the way that it was set up was the second stage was really close to where I was eating. And I got to step out and see black level society for one song. Okay. Song play suicide Messiah. I mean, there's not much to be said. It's fucking Black Label yeah, Society. you know what you're going to get. Yeah, it was great. Zach was welling on his, his ass off, and that was a side stage. And as you would expect, with it being Black Label, it was like wall-to-wall. Oh, people, yeah, you know? you know it. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I just, I enjoyed how they had it set up, because, I mean, a lot of the side stages were like, um, let me think, on the, the next, like, Blackstone Cherry played a side stage that day, and then some other bands that you would think would be on a main stage, like Seether or something, mm-hmm. were also on a side stage. So they had it spread okay. out where, like, bands that were, like, you know, either if a band was big radio-wise or legendary, some of them were still on the side stages later at night, like Cheap Trick and ZZ yeah. Top. And uh, the next day I got to see Alien Weaponry again for the first time since, or the second time since we saw them at Rock, Oklahoma. Okay. And of course, they were badass. Oh, yeah. And they seemed to get a pretty good response, which I thought was cool, because I talked to a few people about them, and a lot of people didn't, that I talked to hadn't heard of them. Mm-hmm. So I was like, kind of, the day before was like, making sure people would go check them out, you know? Yeah. And then got to see Power Trip for the first time. You motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> which is something we've been talking about for a couple years, oh, right? Oh, man. And, because they finally came to Tulsa. About a year ago, yeah. and it was on the same night that we had yeah, our <laughs> Thunder Underground Fest. Yeah, figures. <laughs> so a year later, I got to check them out. They're on a side stage, and I got to see the whole show from right up front. I got up there with Kevin. Nice. Kevin and Rachel Graham. And it's the same thing that we just said about the other two thrash bands. This is a new 
a new era thrash band and they laid it down just like you would expect they would. Yeah, they did. Yeah, for almost a, I think they had a full hour, if I remember right. And you know, they sounded freaking perfect. Nice. That's awesome. And that's another one. There was a, it wasn't a massive crowd, but there was a good crowd over there and there was a lot of people wearing Power Trip shirts. A lot of people there that knew the music and... I even heard some people later that day, I can't even remember what show I was standing around at, they were talking, I heard a couple people say that, man, I saw this band Power Trip and I hadn't heard of them and they were fucking awesome. So, I mean, that's the kind of thing you want from a festival like this. You of know? course, yeah, that's that's what you play them for. Yeah. Yeah, so, turn people on to you. Yeah, if you're one of those people that don't know Power Trip, check them out. And then the highlight for me, or one of the highlights for me, was Gojira. I bet. We just talked about them here a few episodes ago because yeah. you saw him at the Not Fest Roadshow. Of course. And you had seen him like 10 years ago coming from Metallica, but I'd still never seen him because I was at that Not Fest Roadshow, but didn't get a chance to see him because yeah. I was working. But And just like you said, when you talked about him, it was just one of those bands. It's just fucking tight as hell. Perfect. Yeah. This huge wall of sound. And it's like, why didn't I really, you know, I didn't really get into this band until about a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. And I was just like a real late comer on them. And I'm just like watching them live. And I'm like, what the fuck was, what was where thinking? were we at? You know? Yeah. yeah. Even though I listened to them, I just didn't really get like really into it. And, and they're a band that like is real stunning, like a lot of visuals behind them. Yeah. I mean, they don't really need it, but it just kind of adds to it. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. And Mastodon was basically the same exact I could say the same exact thing about them because they're another band I'd never seen and I didn't really get into them until the past year or two, like heavily. Yeah. And they're, I mean, they were stunning live as well. Just like they have all the, the stuff going on, like the psychedelic stuff Yeah. behind them. But, and just to see those four guys up there, all of them freaking singing, all of them sound yeah, they're, phenomenal, yeah. pulling off the shit they pull off. And it's just like, they're one of those bands that kind of get out there at times a little much, but, you know, in their live show, it just all fucking makes sense and all comes together perfectly. So that, I mean, them and Gojira were the highlights as far as being able to see two bands I'd never seen before along yeah. the Power Trip, you know. And that was all in one day, which is kind of exactly crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and that day as well was Cheap Trick, and you can never go wrong with freaking Cheap Trick. No, they'll never let you down. Yeah. They're a live band that... I will champion till the end of time. They're like one of those classic rock bands that they're not underrated, but they are in a sense of that not enough people talk about them as being one of the greats, I think. Yeah. And they, you go see them live and you realize how truly great they are. And then that night, of course, was headlined by Def Leppard. And when they hit the stage, it was like 37 degrees. Really? Yeah. Wow. They went on, like... The headline sets the first two nights started like 11.15 or 11.30 at night. And it was like 37 degrees when they went on. And Did Phil Collins still have his shirt off? No. Yeah. I was waiting exactly. on it. Exactly. Like he had, he had it open, but he had like two shirts on. Like a button-up shirt and something else over. And I think, I can't remember if he ever took the top layer off, but I kept waiting to see if he would and he never did. <laughs> and then there's a there's like a recap video that they posted a couple of days ago yeah. about the show. And they talked about how that was the coldest show they've played in their history. Wow. And then they even mentioned that. I think Joe Elliott said it or someone said it, that 
Phil left his shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they were talking about how it was hard to hold the drumsticks and picks and stuff. Yeah. And I think he did say drumsticks, and I sent that to Jason Carroll, and he pointed out that, why did he make that plural? It should be drumstick, right? You assholes. <laughs> but, you assholes. So anyways, I went to see S&M too, Metallica. <laughs> but Def Leppard played Promises. Nice. I love that. Yeah, they I played, love that song. I don't give a shit. Yeah, same here. They played Paper Sun. It's also from that album. The Euphoria album. They played Let It Go from High and Dry. Fuck yeah. And I feel like there was another one that was kind of like those that... Oh, Excitable from Hysteria, which you don't usually hear. Okay. And they'd played all these songs at that Vegas thing, so I'm sure that's why it was still in the set. Yeah, so they just, yeah. So that was that was really cool for me. I'd seen that band a ton, but be able to see a few songs that you don't normally see was great. And then Sunday was, uh, let me see, I had my thing, Alter Bridge. Fucking amazing. Yeah. As you know they would be. I missed like the first couple songs, but I don't think they played anything off the new album. They might have. And I just forgot, or it was at the very beginning, but I love that they played an hour and they still played Blackbird. Yeah. Because that was, I, th- I figured that was a song that was reserved for their headline sets because it's like eight minutes, you know? Yeah. They played it there, like second to last song, and they had a huge crowd over there and everybody's into it. So I'm really happy about that. Because I remember, you remember when that band first came out? We talked about it, and I think you said, I don't think this band's going to be around that long. It's like they're too good, but. <laughs> People aren't ever going to fucking catch on, and they finally oh, are. Yeah, I like, know, I know. It's well, took well, many years, but they finally fucking caught on to it. It goes to show I know nothing. Well, no, it goes to show <laughs> that we were way ahead of the curve with yeah. this band. Well, yeah, I mean, they're, <laughs> they're phenomenal. And then Lamb of God was, of course, phenomenal. It's fucking Lamb of God. Yeah. Kevin Graham was over there as well for that one. Kevin Rachel and Kevin mentioned there, and he mentioned it to us the other day where he said that... He's always loved that band and seen him live a bunch. But he said just something about this one when he saw him. It just like put him up there in his top ten bands of all time. That's awesome. And you know you can't go wrong with that band like live. They're just so. They really are like the next. I think they're the next. If if there's another metal band that can get to that Slipknot level, they're probably it. You know. Oh, I would imagine so. Yeah. I mean, they should they're, be. They're they're on the brink of it. Yeah. And then that night. Was Guns N' Roses. Well, I saw, let me step back. I saw Deftones because I was over there waiting for Guns N' Roses. Yeah. And I always kind of talk shit about them. I don't dislike them. They just don't do much for me. But, you know, and I'd seen them at Rocklahoma a few years ago, but I was drunk, and so I don't really know. Yeah. <laughs> but this, I saw them. I saw, like, the last 15 minutes. And, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say it revitalized me liking them, but I just, I really liked the 15 minutes I saw. Good. I mean, they sounded freaking great. They looked... You know, Chino is just like full of fucking, to me when I hear it, it just sounds like he's bored, but when you see him live, he's like full of fucking, he's into that shit 100%, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, and then Guns N' Roses, I mean, I could talk about this for a while, but I'm not gonna. Okay. (laughs) Because we've talked about him many times. Yeah. But the highlight here was they played Locomotive for only the second time since the Usual Illusion Tour in 92. Wow. I played it in Wichita like the week before. Yeah. And uh, then the couple shows after that, they weren't. They went back to playing Coma. Yeah. And then so I thought, I probably won't get it. And then they pulled it out. And there you go. it was fucking perfect. It was a present for you. Yeah. Because that's like in my, 
one of my favorite songs of theirs. Yeah. Um, probably my favorite song off either of the Use Your Illusions albums. And well, that's awesome. Yeah. That's like if fucking Metallica put Struggle Within. Yeah, basically. You know, for me. Yeah. Exactly. And Lucky you know, bastard. Yeah. They. It was fucking cold when they played. It wasn't thirty-seven, but it was still in the forties. And yeah. I mean, they went out there and played two hours and forty-five minutes, like they always do, and sounded fucking great. I mean, Warriors. I'm gonna. You know, I'm a fucking fanboy. So I mean, I know there's people that still don't like Axel or think he's that good, but I mean, I. I'm never gonna say he's fucking amazing, but he's good enough. You know, gotcha. That's the way I look at it. I mean, Hell yes. I mean, you've heard it. I mean, I don't know. He's like, he can go out there and he can pull the shit off. Yeah. But it's not like Axel of 1991, but. Who, who is their yeah. 1991 version? Right. But it's just like amazing that you see a band that plays two hours and 45 minutes. Usually most, most people in the band get a break or take a break at some point. Mm-hmm. But like Slash is up there playing that fucking guitar nonstop for two hours and 45 minutes. That's insane. I mean, and like. There's like eight minute long solos and shit. Not really, but there's like a couple points where there's super ass long solos and he just like never stops that whole time. Yeah. You know? And I mean, not to take away from anyone else, but I mean, it's the same with like Duff or, um, well, not even Duff because I mean, Slash does a solo where it's like just him and then the rest of the time he's on stage. So everybody takes a break at some point except him. I just think that's wow. insane, you know? Maybe he wants it that way. He 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 likes Keeps to him keep going. going, you know. Yeah. But yeah, there you go. X one eleven. Nice. Sorry, I rambled, but now you can ramble. Oh well, I, I uh, my rambling would be that I saw uh, last week uh, S and M two Metallica at the theater. Um, got to see that in the theater, and it was uh, it was really really cool. Um, I mean, visually, it was stunning, you know, with the orchestra and the stage set up and the screens and just, you know, how well it was shot. It was uh, Wayne Isham, you know, so, I mean, that tells you everything. Um, but this is in the, yeah, because I'd seen videos, this was in the round. And it was in the round. The same and, as their tour was, right? Yeah, okay. and, and so it just, it looks amazing. And uh, it's just crystal clear. It sounded great. It was so fucking loud and everything was just... Just cut through. Um, Did they have the same visuals like on the tour? No, um, yeah, sometimes, yeah, some of of them, yeah. Yeah. But no, like this was a. They didn't have the the boxes. They had this round, these round like spiral looking deal. Oh right. And okay, I remember seeing Kevin's videos. Yeah, and and you know you you know obviously the thing is when you, you do this kind of thing with an orchestra. You'd think something would get lost in the mix or something, but no, everything cuts through amazingly. Um, and the set list, which obviously is probably, for me, is just the most interesting thing and important thing I want to know about. Yeah. Um, you know, so, you know, highlights for me were uh, The Day That Never Comes. You know, ever since I heard that song, um, I thought, man, if they ever did a symphony again, I could, this would be a song to do it. And they did it, you know. Um, and I thought they pulled it off great. Uh, they have the, uh, the orchestra's double bassist. Um, he comes up to the section where the band's at 
and he has an upright base, and he does uh, anesthesia pulling teeth. No shit. Yeah, and he's got you know the wah pedal and the pet and the fuzz pedals and the effects and all that on it. And then so was Rob doing it too, or just him? No, just him. And then Lars, you know, when 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 the drums come in, Lars is there and they jam on it and stuff. Oh wow! And it's really really cool. I mean, he does it all with a bow and stuff. It, it, it's probably uh, a really cool photo. The the most interesting part of the show. And then, uh, all within my hands. Right. I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> because, you know, we both know we're not St. Anger fans. Right. Neither of us. <laughs> and I, and I think All Within My Hands is probably one of the most unlistenable songs on St. Anger. <laughs> right. And that's saying something because most of that shit is unlistenable. And they took all within my hands, and we've kind of heard some acoustic versions and where they've gone with it, you know, in their their laid back benefit shows and stuff in the past. Well, yeah, we did a YouTube review on. that. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we did the whole YouTube review on that album that came out. Yeah, like earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Yes, and and, uh, and we talked about how I much think, better it was that way. Exactly, yeah. and, and you know, um, and it was just the same, and you add the orchestra to it, and I just really, really like what they're doing with this song more than I thought I would. So for me, I thought that was awesome. And then, you know, you have the greats, one master of puppets, uh, for whom the bell tolls, um, you know, I, I think the new stuff they did, which halo on fire and moth in the flame. And I think they did one other new song, but I don't, I can't remember for sure. So I don't want to speak off, you know, yeah, Halo on Fire seems like it would translate very well. Yes, and um, uh, those are cool. And uh, the uh, memory remains, you know, at the end, the crowd, you know, is singing along. Yeah. The big sing-along part, and they won't stop. And, they're, you know, everyone's trying to get them to stop, and the crowd won't stop. And so <laughs> that's kind of cool. Um, the conductor, Edwin Outwater, I thought was really cool. Um very animated, very conductor-ish, but not corny. Okay. You know, it didn't, it didn't look stupid. Um, you know, he, he brought a great energy to the, the orchestra. I would, in, in my very limited knowledge, that's who you watch for your vibe and the beat and whatnot and all those terms. I don't know. So it seems like they picked the right guy to bring that kind of vibe to the orchestra, you know, Hey, this is a rock show. So let's, so that was really cool to watch. And, um, well, didn't you say that he, he had said in something, he's been a huge metallic fan. Yes. I mean, he, uh, you know, he, he was, um, you know, he, he's a fan of all kinds of music and, you know, doing research when I read about it afterwards, I mean, the guy's done a million things. I mean, he's worked with Al Jorgensen, I know that much. Oh, wow. So, I mean, just, you know, he, this guy's, this guy's no slouch. He knew what he was doing. Uh, so, all in all, I just, you know, I'm not going to go over the whole set list because I don't want to spoil it. But, I mean, I. And you know it's going to be coming out on Blu-ray. Oh, really. yeah, it's going to be. So, I'm going to be buying that shit like yeah. an idiot. Vinyl, whatever. I want it all. <laughs> So I can't wait for that, and it's just, it's really cool, um, and I think that, I mean, I don't know, you know, S&M 1 had Bleeding Me and shit, so that's fucking awesome, 
I'm not going to say I liked S&M 2 better, but I, I mean, I definitely know that visually it was way better, and that's just technology, and, and that's just sign of the times, but it was, you know. Well, I heard some people saying it sounded better, too, like as far as. Oh, it sounded fucking amazing. I don't remember what the issues were with the first one, just someone, people saying like the way the band sounded compared to the orchestra, like yeah. didn't like mesh as well or something. Yeah. I don't know. But I mean, I always it, liked it. But. In any in any case, uh, it was so good. I'm glad I went. It was definitely worth the nine dollar ticket or whatever it was. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, and then you said that conductor was recently on Metal Up Your Podcast, right? Yes, I just so l- check that out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely go. Was that cool? Yes. You listen to it. Okay. It was great. So. Well, and your comment about Al Jurgensen reminded me. I didn't get to see Ministry at X One Eleven. But he came out on stage with Cheap Trick and sang Surrender. That's awesome. Which is just like the weirdest combo yeah. ever, but the greatest as well. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the best stuff when you get to see yeah. that kind of stuff. And it wasn't even the same day. Like, you know, he was it was the day before Ministry played, so he was there. and Singing I out, noticed man. that they, the last three times I've seen Cheap Trick were at festivals, and they, they've done that. Every, like, someone really? that's playing a festival will come up. That's great. And sing with them. You know, like, I think uh, Poison did it. Rocklahoma a few years ago. Okay. I remember right. Like Brett Michaels and I don't know, I can't remember. I just remember that's happened every time I've seen him now yeah. at the festival. Anyway, let's get into the subject at hand. Yeah, definitely. Life of Agony. They have just released The Sound of Scars here just about well, by the time you're hearing this about a week and a half ago. And The Sound of Scars came out twenty six years and one day after River Runs Red, their debut album. And that's significant because this is a continuation of River Runs Red, which was a concept album, as is this. So it continues the story. And both of us, you know, we've talked about them here on the podcast many times, and we mentioned up at the top of this one that, you know, since the beginning, this is one of those bands that we really hoped we could get a member of on this podcast. Oh, for sure. So we're glad, extremely glad that we finally did. And we've been following this band since the mid '90s. I know it was probably ugly. Was the album that yeah uh, that we got into them with? Yeah. We were a little behind compared to some people. Yeah, I, I definitely knew of them when yeah. River Runs Red came out. I mean, if I mean, if you watched Headbangers Ball, you didn't escape it, right? Um, and I, I dug it. Um, but when Ugly came out, that's when it really clicked for me. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, and we and we've been nerds ever since. You know. Yeah, because as soon as we got into Ugly, then got into River Runs Red, and then Soul Searching Sun came out. And I remember when that came out, I was like, what the fuck? Just like people were with Load or something. Mm-hmm. But it took me, it didn't take me that long. Pretty quickly, I came around to that and just realized, okay, this is fucking great. You know, what am I bitching about? I Because I it doesn't really sound like the other two albums. Who cares? It's fucking great. Now you can go back and listen to it as much, as easily oh, yeah. as anything. You know? I loved it from the jump. Um, yeah. Because, you know, there was such a huge difference between River Undread and Ugly. As I, I didn't expect, I didn't know what to expect. You right. didn't know what, where they were going to go. And that's kind of one of the things about this band I, I dig. Yeah, they've continued doing that. Uh, yeah, they, uh, they never stopped doing that. And, um, which speaking of, I that's, s- oh, sorry. That's yeah. art right there. Right. So 
I mean, if you can't stifle that. If I got to pick one song for them to play, it would be from Soul Searching Sun. Yeah. yeah. I would say Heroin Dreams. Oh, no no if, fucking doubt, dude. If one of them if came they, up and said, what song do you want to hear tonight? I'm like, Heroin Dreams. Yeah, if they would bust out Heroin Dreams, holy fuck, man. Yeah. yeah I, I would be a happy man. I mean, <laughs> I already am, but I would be a happier man. <laughs> right. Well, so what do you think of The Sound of Scars? I love it. I, I, I really, I think Weight of the World kicks ass. Black oh, Heart Scars is a great beginning to the album. Um, you know, all the fucking skits in between, just like the last one. Um, we talk about it. I mean, it's just a great fucking record. Um, I think, I don't want to say, you know, a place where there's no more pain is amazing. Yeah. So I'm not going to say one's better than the other, but this is just as good. Yeah. Um, I, I I just, I think this is a great fucking record. Yeah, A Place Where There's No More Pain. We had that as, didn't we have that as number one? That I year? think so, yeah. On our And this one's, this one's going to be right yeah. the fuck up there, man. Yeah, I mean, this is as great as that. And I've seen a lot of people say that this is, they're putting this above ugly and everything. Saying this is the best album since the first one. And I... I'm not going to do that. Maybe over time I'll get there, but mm-hmm. I will put it as it's one of those bands that, you know, I'll throw out another band I love, Faith No More. It's like every album sounds different, and I can't, I can't really even say what one through six is. Yeah. I could say, I could just rotate those all the time. You yeah, know? exactly. Because they're all equally great in my eyes, and I love them all, you know. Huge honor here. So you want to just jump into it? Yeah, I think so. All right, here's Alan Robert from. Life of Agony. Sound of Scars is out now. It's getting a ton of critical praise, as it should. Are you happy with all the response you've heard so far? Yeah, we're really humbled, actually. Um, we put a lot of time and effort and love and blood, sweat, and tears into it. And, um, you know, we're trying to satisfy what we wanted to accomplish first. And it just feels good that everyone else uh, shares that view, too. Um, you never know what people are going to think. And... You try and create art in your vision and, and how you see it happening, and it just it feels good to to know that uh, a lot of fans are happy. Well, and that's what you got to do first is, you know, kind of what feels right to you, what you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've done that every step of our career, um, and sometimes it connects with people and sometimes it doesn't, um, and sometimes... You know, I remember when we put the Ugly record out back in 95, and it was such a different direction than River on Dread. It threw fans for a loop. But now, um, all these years later, it's fans, sometimes it's their favorite record. Um, so sometimes, you know, when, when and and what you were going through in your own life when you experience a record can make an impact on how you perceive it too. So um, that part is pretty interesting. You know, when, when music comes into your life at a certain time and it kind of has a time stamp on it um, and what it and how you get affected by it 
and it sticks with you, you know? Yeah. There's a bunch, bunch of records that I could think of that just bring me back to the moment when I first heard them, you know, even like the Beatles magical mystery tour, like we were on tour at the time and it's like the only cassette that we had left that worked and we just played it on repeat driving home from Los Angeles to New York for like three days straight. <laughs> so I remember, I remember how I felt listening to that. And every time I hear even like two notes from that record, it brings me right back to that, that van, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, how long has this idea been around um, to continue uh, this story on the sound of scars? Um, we were about four or five songs into writing the record. Um, but I think the thing that that really struck me um, was that, you know, when we put River Runs Red out, we were a bunch of kids and we were like 17, 18 years old. And um, we put that record out because we had to, as humans, you know, we were going through our own frustrations and our own uh, demons and um, in writing that record, you know, it was almost like an escape for us. You know, we wanted to get out of Brooklyn. We wanted to experience the world. And that record put us on a trajectory that really allowed a lot of our dreams to come true. And, um, and it kind of healed us in the, in the process. And, um, and it saved us in a lot of ways. And I know that that record saved a lot of fans out there too, because they could relate to the messages behind the music. And, um, and we've heard that a lot over the years. And then fans would always come up to us and say, River Runs Red saved their lives. And um, there's a lot of survivors out there. And we're survivors too. And so I started thinking, you know, that a lot of the lyrics were dealing with scars that were kept coming up in a bunch of songs for the new record. And, you know, how scars you could reflect on, on a score, an emotional score or a physical score. And, um, and the things that haunt you from your past. And the word survivor kept coming up as well. And I think that, you know, being that we, sh we share this common thread of surviving um, the things that we've gone through, I would start to think, what if the kid on River Runs Red survived? And, you know, we've made such an impact on so many people um, to get them out of some dark times that started thinking, you know, what if that kid had a band that he connected with and made him hang on? Um, and so that just that started getting the, the wheels uh, moving and, um, and it brought us full circle with this thing. Um, I mean, even to the point where we were done with the record and uh, we delivered it to the label and they gave us the release date and it just happened to be, because it fit in their schedule, it happened to be 26 years and one day difference from the release date of River on Dread. Uh, it's just a bunch of cosmic things that happened that way that just made us feel like we were, uh, we were on the right path with it. Yeah. So once you had that established, I mean, was it hard to continue the story or, or did it come easy? It kind of, it kind of just fell into place because first of all, we knew we had to get it right. Um, we had to get it right 
from the narrative point of view and creating all those audio scenes and making it feel authentic to the listener um, to recreate those types of scenes with sounds and uh, we used family and friends again, just like we did on River Runs Red, uh, to to create all those pieces of dialogue between the characters, and you know, even Mina's little dog is barking on on one of them. I mean, we really we got down and dirty and 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 worked it out, and um, we even reached out to our friends on the police force to make sure that the codes that are spoken over the radio for the police dispatching were correct for that district and um yeah we got we got pretty crazy with the details um but uh i think we pulled it off the three of you's grown a lot since that original album you mentioned being kids like do you feel like when you wrote river runs red that you were kind of in that space and then now you're kind of like looking into it as an, you know, as an older adult when you're writing this album. Um, the sad thing is we, we still are just as immature as we were back then um, <laughs> in a lot of ways, uh, but music keeps you young. Um, but, you know, when we got our new drummer last year, Veronica Bellino, she came into the band with this fire and this passion and um she learned like 20 songs right off the bat and we had two sold out shows in our hometown to kind of those are her first shows and um we went back to the old records to figure out which songs we were going to do for those two nights and um we listened to all the old stuff with fresh ears in a way and um we hadn't listened to it in many years and to listen to them in the way that we wanted to play some fan favorites that we haven't played in a long, long time. And so by listening to the records all together with that mindset, we started to realize that from record to record, um, we had evolved and over time kind of abandoned certain signature um, songwriting elements, like including like the big gang vocal, background vocals, uh, you know, including those breakdown riffs in the middle of songs that kind of felt strange on the first listen, but made sense years later, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so we, we got back to that mindset. We were like, you know, why, why did we stop doing that? That was so much fun to do. And we play those songs live every night and we love to scream into the microphone with the background vocals from, you know, songs like underground, you know, but the later material didn't include any of that. So that was very top of mind when we were writing the record and, um, we wanted to include those things. And we also wanted to make sure that all the sounds and the sonics felt like those old records, you know, those organic drum sounds and, those really warm uh, guitar tones. And we even um, mastered the record analog instead of digitally this time um, to really capture that uh, body. Um, So we made a lot of very specific decisions along the way. And I think that by Joey 
co-producing the record with Sylvia Massey and having his hands on everything, um, it, it gave it that much more of a personal touch and really um, helped get our vision from the beginning to the to the end game. You mentioned Veronica just a minute ago. Like, how does she fit in with playing this catalog that you're talking about, and what do you think that she's brought to the new album? Well, she just got a she's got an amazing talent, first of all, and and personality wise, she just fits right in. And as soon as she started, you know, like I was saying before, she just brought this new energy and new life to the band, and um. We've just been having so much fun. Um, you know, we've been playing longer sets than we ever have. We've been playing songs we haven't played in many, many years. We've tried fun things, too. You know, like we, we brought Billy from Biohazard out on tour last year, and we were playing uh, Punishment every night. Um, you know, we were just having fun out there again. Where did you find Veronica? Where, where did she come on to you guys' radar? Uh, you know, she was friends with Joey for many years. I think they jammed once on some Sepultura riffs and stuff mm -hmm. um, back in the day. Uh, she's into really heavy stuff. And um, I think, yeah, I think they, she, she was originally from New York. She um, was living in L.A. when we contacted her um, to try out. Um, at that time, we had a bunch of different drummers from other bands throw their hat in the ring. But ultimately, she flew in and tried out. She knew five or six songs completely flawlessly. And we made a decision that night without trying anyone else out. We were like, you got it. Yeah. I mean, perfect. Yeah. And, and, and we were pretty much on the road, like, uh, by April. And we were out all, all last year. And, we started the writing sessions for Sound of Scars, I think about October, November, and we were tracking drums by February of this year out in Oregon with Sylvia. Yeah. So it came out, came together pretty fast, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. I, I think she brings a lot new album. There, there's kind of a bounce, a kind of a positive thing, and, and it's really noticeable. Yeah, yeah. She's And she's very intricate and precise and you know, there's just like a, a snap to the way she plays. Um, her, her fills are amazing, and and can't I can't say more about it. I just think that she's a perfect fit for this band. Yeah. Well, you know, I want to bring up with uh, Mina being in and out of the band over the years and the ups and the downs. Um, uh, you've got to be pleased with uh, where Life of Agony is today, and just kind of, kind of marvel at it. It's a journey, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's it's a very unique story, um, you know. And we've been childhood friends since we're kids, and um, and it really means a lot to us to be able to get through those hard times, and and to you know. And look back, uh, especially having this record come out uh, just a few days ago um, after all the hard work and just, you know, kind of soak in the responses. Um, it feels really good. And um, 
we head out to Europe on Sunday um, to start the uh, SOS World Tour, and um, we're bringing our brother uh, Doyle from the Misfits out to support us, and um, it's gonna be great. The, actually, Saturday night we're going to see the Misfits destroy Madison Square Garden. Nice. And uh, and then we all fly out together the, the next day to Europe. I think they're saying that might be their last one. Yeah, I've heard that too. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, uh, you know, one thing I wanted to bring up. Um, you mentioned Ugly earlier, and that that too is 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 my favorite record. But um, I think that no matter if you're talking about Sound of Scars or Soul Searching Sun or any of them, they're they're all varied, but it seems as as long as you and Mina and Joey are involved, it, it it's undoubtedly life of agony. Um, how, how do you explain that? And and also, I think that that's a rare thing that you can still tell it's you guys, no matter what. I appreciate that. Um, I kind of feel that way too, and. Um... I think we have just like an unspoken chemistry between us and um, we just get, get each other and like, we don't have to, you know, go over the top to try and figure out how to write a song together. It just comes very naturally. And a lot of times it comes from a song seed that any one of us come up with. And then I think by the time we get our hands on it and we develop it together, that's what really is the magic formula between us. Um, you know, it's like you take a, a little, like a little sketch on a napkin and you present it to the group and then the group gets their hands dirty and everyone kind of makes it their own. And that, and that's what, it, that's what we do. Well, you mentioned you're about to embark on this European tour or, and you said world tour. Is there a chance we'd get a full U S tour coming up in 2020? Yeah, that's the plan. Actually, we're we're gonna hit some territories that we've never been in the history of the band on this run. Um, I'm pretty excited about that. We have some announcements coming up very very soon, and um, we'll be hitting Canada in um, December. We haven't been there in over a decade, and just some exciting things happening with the band behind the scenes. Can't wait to start sharing the news. Definitely, we'll switch in gears a little bit to the beauty of horror. You were recently at the New York Comic Con, and I was just kind of wondering that, you know, obviously heavy metal and horror kind of goes together, and you've got a fan base from Life of Agony, but do you notice now a fan base forming around your books that are unrelated to Life of Agony, just of, like, horror fans or, like, comic fans or comic book fans? Well, it's really interesting because... When I first started Beauty of Horror and um, at the end of 2016, you know, I was just kind of hoping that, you know, music fans would dig it. Um, but what turned out was that I found that there was a whole different type of crowd that was into coloring these types of books. And a lot of people all over the world that didn't know I was in a band and didn't care I was in a band. Um, they just like the color gruesome stuff. <laughs> and um, um, a lot of them are women, believe it or not. And um, so, you, you know, some of the color work that they do, I, I share as much as I can. But 
they're just unbelievable um, what they do to these pages. Um, I usually post them on uh, on the Beauty of Horror Facebook page or on Twitter. I share them, um, but it's just mind blowing uh, the level of detail that they add to these black and white pages, you know. Um, and it's been such a success uh, year after year since they've come out. Um, right now, there's five books out on the market. There's another three coming next year, a tarot card set that's going to launch this October 22nd next week. Um, it's been keeping me busy when I'm not on the road, I'll tell you. Yeah. Um, but it's been so, it's so much fun. You know, I was drawing since I'm three years old. And, you know, I picked up a guitar later in life. So I always wanted to be doing art for a career. And um, thankfully, I've been able to do both. Yeah. Well, I have media horror, too. And my girlfriend and I have both colored lots of pages there. It's it's very soothing. <laughs> oh, yeah, you should post them, man. I'll share them. We'll do. We'll do for sure. <laughs> Are you constantly drawing when you're not writing music or not on the road? Yeah, it's pretty much. I'm I'm like on lockdown in my studio for like nine hours straight. My hand looks all gnarled up by the end of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, you have to put that kind of time in to to get those intricate details. You know, um, and wait till you see these tarot cards. Um, it's probably the most detailed work I've ever done. Um, it's a lot of fun. And plus, I didn't know much about Tower Courts when I started the project. The publisher brought it up to me. They said, how would you feel about doing a B.R. Tower Court deck? And I was like, that sounds cool. It kind of fits, you know, with the supernatural and the creepiness of it. Um, so I started drawing the first couple just to see what it would be like. And then I realized there were 78 tarot cards in the tarot card deck. And I was like, man, that's a commitment. Um, <laughs> I don't know how, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And, um, you know, they were like, you know, take your time, you know, if it comes out next year, that's fine. And then I just got into rhythm once the record was done and, um, I was able to finish it before I left. And, uh, we were able to announce it at New York Comic Con the other day. Well, when you're drawing, do you envision it in color and draw it that way and then just take the line work for the books or do you just draw line work? I just draw the line work. Um, okay. You know, like it, bringing color into it is almost like that's a daunting experience for me because <laughs> I was coloring my uh, graphic novels. I was, I was uh, writing and, and drawing graphic novels since 2009. Uh, with titles like uh, Wire Hangers and Crawl to Me and Killogy. And I would do all the art from pencil sketches to inking, coloring, lettering, everything you see in the book. Um, and by the time I got to the color, I was so fried. Um, that was the hardest part for me. So this is great. I'm like, just get to pencil it and ink it and let everyone else do the color work for me. <laughs> Well, bringing it back to music for a minute, talking about The Sound of Scars and River Runs Red being concept albums that you had a huge part in writing. Do you have favorite concept albums from other artists? Well, I think the whole reason that we did River Runs Red as a concept record in the first place was because 
we all love Pink Floyd The Wall so much. Yeah. And and not just not just the album, but the way that they tied it into the movie and and how the music and the visuals all played together with all the cartooning and the animation and all the wild imagery. Um it was just kind of bigger than life for us. And we just kind of aspired to do that for our genre in, a, in our little way. And um, yeah, that's, that was really the one record that I could think of that made us want to do that. Could you envision this story as a movie or a animation or anything like that? Oh, yeah. I always daydream about stuff like that. <laughs> Even, you know... <laughs> If, if the band ever reached a certain level um, for the live show, I would even consider um, maybe having some performance pieces in the live setting. That could, I could see that working, too. And this is also the type of thing that you could do, like a complete back-to-back, -back, both albums. You know, that might be a huge undertaking, but a cool concept, definitely. You know, you... You're you're like the tenth person that said that. <laughs> so maybe that that is something there. Nice. <laughs> cool, man. Well, we definitely appreciate you taking the time out of your evening to talk to us, and really loving the new album. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. There you go, Alan Robert of Life of Agony. A huge thank you to John Freeman from Freeman Promotions, and of course, a massive thank you to Alan Robert for taking the time out of his evening to talk to us there. We recorded that just uh, two or three days before he left to go on, the band left to go on their European tour. Yes. Which is what they are currently on. And they just now announced here a couple of days ago an Australian tour. Yes. Which for the first time, that's what he was alluding to in an interview, right? Exactly. And hopefully a U.S. tour to come, I hope. Yeah. I'll go to Dallas for this shit. Yeah, since they... Or Kansas City or something. You know, that's kind of why we asked that question, because since they've come back, they've played a lot of U.S. shows, but they've always been Northeast, L.A., that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And we haven't really got anything here in the Midwest for the most part, so hoping we get some kind of U.S. tour that takes them across this part of the country so we can finally see them again. Of course. Because it's been way, way, way too long. That's right. So, yeah, The Sound of Scars, pick it up if you haven't. The Beauty of Horror. As you heard there, there's tons of choices on that as well now. And there will be more coming on that with the tarot card set and everything else. So be on the lookout for that. And yeah, Life of Agony. Finally did it. All right, if this is your first time listening, we appreciate it. You can check us out online at thethunderunderground.com. You can listen to everything there. You can find all our socials there. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram. Twitter, follow us on YouTube at The Thunder Underground. We've got a lot of reviews, all kinds of stuff about new albums, concerts, different kinds of stuff on there. Putting up new ones all the time, so follow us there and subscribe so you don't miss that. You can listen to us at soundcloud.com backslash thunder-underground and most, most places that podcasts are heard, iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, all that stuff. We've got now 234 previous episodes with guys from bands like Seven Dust, Candlebox, Megadeth, Gene Simmons from Kiss, Bruce Kulik, formerly of Kiss, and Grand Funk Railroad. By God. <laughs> Sons of Texas, Battlecross, Warrant, 
the obsessed. Clutch. Yes, two members of Crowbar Clutch yeah. have been on here. COC. Two members of COC have been on here. I mean, come on. Yeah, a member of a couple members of Superjoint have been on here. That's right. That's right. Fucking Wino. Yeah, which also means we've had a member of I Hate God and a member of That's right. Philip H and Semo and the Illegals, because all those three bands tie together there, and members of Down between Jimmy Bauer and Kirk Weinstein and Pepper Keenan. Exactly. Well, he's been on here, but his band has. Sorry, just making shit weird now. But yeah, tons of tons of shit you can dig back through. DeepDownUnderground.com, you can find it all there. One random note, which is totally, totally off topic. Right before we started this, or right before I left work, I saw that, you know the Foo Fighters Kiss guy? Did you see this? What? You know the Foo Fighters Kiss guy, right? No. Okay. <laughs> well, the, like last, this was like a huge viral video. You had to have seen it like last year sometime. The guy that... Had on like Paul Stanley face paint in the front of the crowd at the Foo Fighters show, and Dave Grohl pulled him on stage. <coughs> I remember to hearing play about Monkey this. Wrench, and the guy just fucking like went fucking nuts and just like killed it. And yeah, they I just let him keep going. This. Yeah, yeah. So this was like a huge thing because like, and then Dave Grohl kept bringing it up for like ever, and then this guy just started getting like interviews, all kinds of shit out of this. Yeah. and it's just some like twenty-something year old dude. Well, anyway, it was just announced that. Greg Rowley, who we know and love from Journey, Journey, and one of Journey's greatest songs, feeling that way. Goddamn yeah. right. And also Santana has recording a new album with Dean Castronova and Mark Mendoza with the Foo Fighters Kiss guy on guitar. Holy shit. So just because Dave Grohl let this dude get on stage, now he's recording an album with like three legendary dudes. <laughs> Man, I need to start practicing and make be pulling some Kiss makeup. Yeah. I get to record an album with somebody. Yeah, like he had said later on, like in some interview, that he put the kiss makeup on and shit and got up there just to like bring attention to himself. Really? And it worked, I guess. Wow. Well, if we're if we're talking about random shit, did you see that the Nixons and Sponge are going on tour? Yeah, yeah, I saw that one. And I thought our they friend need to Ricky get, Brooks announced that. That's right. They back. need to get fucking Seven Dust and Reverend Horton Heat and Bloodhound <laughs> Gang and what was that Puzzle Guts or whatever the fuck that band was called. They're probably, I don't know, they probably work at a law firm now. Have a goddamn uh, roar to her uh, fucking reunion. Okay? Don't forget Iggy Pop. And Iggy Pop. I he mean, was on it, just on. not our stuff. That's right. And have a whole fucking, you know, next summer, let's do this. <laughs> That's funny. Like, I saw that when they announced that a week or two ago, but I completely, like, forgot to mention it, and I didn't even put that together. Yeah, well, like, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> So, yeah, the Nixons, there's another band that's been on this podcast. That's right. If you like that 90s stuff, Local H. I love it. And, of course, Candlebox, I mentioned them. Exactly. I'm sure there's other ones I'm forgetting, but. Man, look that Candlebox was a good one. That's a good dude, man. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Very cool. I guess we'll talk to you soon. We've got, actually, we've got an interview coming up with Linda Liu, the lead singer of Marishi 10, a great new metal band you need to check out. And we've got a couple other things in the works. So we'll let you know as soon as it happens. Until next time. Thunder Underground, y'all.